This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Well, the free agent Flopsam and Jetsam is washing up on shore, and the Mets are happy to be standing there with a net. No, they didn't reel in Chris Bryant or Andrew Chafin, but two low-key signings that could help make a difference anyway. We'll let you in on who they are. We'll tell you what happened in the Mets' intra-squad game from Clover Park, and best of all, no more green beer for another 52 weeks. Let's have ourselves a podcast. What do you say? Mets in the morning. Mets in the morning. Oh, yeah. Mets in the morning. Gonna tell you what the Mets are doing while coffee is brewing now. Here's Josh Lewin. But this weekend, there will be actual spring training games. But for now, the intra-squad frivolity continues. Intra-squad frivolity, a decent band name. I, I do believe this. There's a band playing here in Portland, Oregon next week, where I'm currently marooned. Uh, Penguins playing ping pong is a name I saw on the marquee. That's not bad. Not going to blow off a trip to spring training to see these guys, but I, I must admit I am intrigued. Josh Lewin with you, and yes, at a live BP Thursday, Jacob deGrom struck out Francisco Lindor on three pitches, struck out Jeff McNeil on four. No one got hurt, which is always important. And yeah, the Mets have brought in two players on minor league deals who can help this year. Outfielder Travis Jankowski and lefty reliever Jason Shreve. And we'll get to those guys, I promise. But first, let's get to the manager. And Buck Showalter doesn't miss a trick. Intra-squad game today, and he piped in crowd noise to simulate a regular season situation. That was what caught the attention of reporters after the fact. So let's have ourselves a listen. Steve? Look, how long have you been doing those drills where you're piping the crowd noise and, and have it kind of rise and fall with the balls in the air? Um... You're always trying to simulate game situations. And there's so many things in spring training that you can do on field seven. And uh, it works smooth, but it's not the reality how the, how the game works. It's like going back there and, pro- and uh, you know, practicing, I got it. Well, you can't hear. You can't hear. Most of these balls and stuff that fall with communication is you can't hear. So it also, I was talking to, I think it was uh, Mark Cannon. He says, unbelievable how you're, not anxiety, what was the word he used? Drama. Yeah, when you hear that noise, now all of a sudden the ball's coming down and it's like, okay, where's my teammate? Well, you know, more, just trying to get to reality as much as you can. And uh, we were told we didn't get as high as we wanted to. The uh, trying not to set off the car along. If we got in trouble when you're in Sarasota, we'd always be, right before the police would get there, you hear about eight or nine car alarms going off. We had the uh, 2014 playoff uh, uh, soundtrack, whatever you call it, piped in. This was the one that MLB gave when nobody was here, I guess. Mm-hmm. And uh, people that work here at St. Louis were afraid he was going to. He said, Don't take it past the red lever. <laughs> I said, Well, if you want to get a 
new improved sound system, just crank it over there, we'll have to get another one. No, I've been doing it for a while, it's uh, just more realistic of what's really coming. We've, we've got to come back to it and do it out of the shifts next. Everybody's so quick to always keep the pitcher out and keep the pitcher out. And we're fortunate to have some real athletic pitchers. There are balls that the pitcher has to catch. And if you start taking that away from them, you know, obviously they have the least priority on the field. You know, you got outfielders over infielders, center fielder over corners, shortstop over infield, and middle infields over the corners, and catcher pitchers last. Mm -hmm. But used to years ago, I said, you want to see who the leader in your infield is? Shoot it up and have it land on the rover and watch who calls it. It's real revealing sometimes. Get some gator arms going. I think we've got four guys that might fight over it. She <laughs> <laughs> don't want anybody running into Pete. <laughs> there were a couple of kind of classic hitter reactions to the ground stuff today. What did, what did you see out there? You know, Jake's going to make the club. <laughs> We're in the back of the field. There's some really some guys back there I want to see. I got, I got to see three or four pitches and how to go. Good. Okay, thanks. I, I don't, not to him, but, and I don't want to, you know, sometimes you want something too much. So, wake me up. I just want to get through this part of it. We've got, we put a sign up today of, uh, Days till opening day. Just a kind of reminder to people not go too fast, but there is a, an end game that's approaching. Um, I'm trying to, with the, uh, you know, the good thing here, the dimensions are similar to City Field down the line when the cutoffs and relays, but yeah, that's one thing we were able to do in Sarasota's copy Camden Yards. And they, they used to have a feel here like that, I think. But when they redid it, they had to get something symmetrical. Maybe in the future, we'll get back to that. Next. So we, got we do have the foul ground, this thing here. That was good to see because a lot of places, the foul line's down the middle of the same amount of clay on each side. And then um, you, you go to your regular season place and the line's close to the grass. But our line here and the line in City Field's the same. Yes, sir. Well, I should ask myself a question. <laughs> <laughs> um, you mentioned Marte was moving along yesterday. Looked like he was out there for part of the upfield activity. What's what's his status? Besides um, day to day, I'm sorry. Not the same. Day day, you know, just taking each day as it comes and hoping it's getting a little better. Um, you know, it's not something that that's uh, about all I have on it right now. I just nothing really knew that I would report. And then you mentioned doing that crowd noise drill in Sarasota. Did you do that when you were with the Rangers or the Yankees? Does it go that far back, do you know? I think we might have done it in New York, uh, Fort Lauderdale, Texas, uh, because we were sharing a compound with uh, the Royals. We're talking about, you could have done it probably on the the uh, quad on the back of Cloverleaf, but too many people around. Sure, like Glenn said, he was going to put muff head ear on. 
They're a pretty good machine. Sometimes that, that machine doesn't work. Years ago, we used to have a machine called a bazooka. And you pumped it. It's like pumping up a, uh, you know, a balloon or something. You could get that sucker and knock planes out of the air. <laughs> <laughs> Frank Howard used to love that thing. Gosh. Oh, let me get that bazooka out of the water. But, um, you take it up there. And I'm going to touch the moon. <laughs> We got a good day for it today for the players because you get a high sky and you get wind. Uh, we were thinking about doing it, but with the how windy and poor weather yesterday, I didn't want to embarrass anybody. It's the hardest time to catch five balls down here because Arizona is the worst because you got a high sky and wind and there's no depth perception. You see some really good fielders struggle in spring training in Arizona catching five balls. You always learn a little something from Buck Showalter. It is the opposite of that speech we got in the movie Billy Madison. The same year Buck was still a Yankees manager, by the way, in the mid-90s. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything to be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. I do love that speech, but the opposite of that is a Buck Showalter get-together with the media, seriously. And, and what a difference for Buck, starting with a New York team now as opposed to back in 1992. The 92 Yankees were an absolute mess, if you weren't around for this or you purged it. Uh, they had just produced the Majors' second-worst record the three years before. They overpaid to lure Danny Tartable to come in, kind of an overreaction to the Mets' lavish spending on Bobby Bonilla. Uh, the Yankees had no established ace. They had a star on the decline and Don Mattingly. And really, their greatest intrigue was all about whether or not they could keep Steve Howe clean. Buck ended up with all that as a new 35-year-old skipper at that point, same age as his opening day starting pitcher, Scott Sanderson, same age as his closer, Steve Farr, which tells you all you need to know, by the way, about the 92 Yankees. Opening day pitcher, Scott Sanderson, their closer, Steve Farr. So on to the moves that the Mets made yesterday, minor as they may seem. Travis Jankowski is 30. He appeared in 76 games with the Phillies last year. He had 252 with an on-base percentage it was decent, but a slugging percentage it was not. His OBP was actually higher than his slug. He has speed off the bench. He has depth in the outfield. He's got a seven-year part-time big league career, 69 steals, which is nice. That's averaging only 60 or so games a season, mostly due to injury. 6'2", 190, originally selected by the Padres first round of the 2012 draft. Looks vaguely like Jeff Spicoli from Fast Times at Ridgemont High, but he actually grew up in central Pennsylvania amongst the Amish, uh, where there are very few tasty waves. And the connection to the Mets, I suppose, is he went to college out on Long Island. He's a Stony Brook guy, Stony Brook Seawolf, and did really well there, too. Did not have a great year for his Phillies last year. In fact, he was memorably picked off a second base to end the game. But as a guy who was once drafted barely in front of Matt Olson and Jesse Winker, another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. 
What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. That's not a bad guy on which to take a flyer. As for Jason Shreve, he has already been a Met. That was back in 2020. He spent last year with the Pirates, got into 57 games, 3.2 ERA for a bad team. It's not bad. Uh, he had the ninth lowest ERA in the National League among qualifying lefties. Held hitters to 15 for 101 with men on base. So about a 150 average, if I can do some quick math. And the year he was with the Mets, lefties were two for 30 off him. Very Aaron Lupish. Mentioned yesterday that Bryce Harper was Shreve's catcher back at Southern Nevada College. Uh, they've known each other since high school out in Nevada. They still work out together sometimes in the offseason. Shreve is the rare lefty who uses a splitter. Of course, Bruce Suter made that his Hall of Fame pitch. He actually took an existing pitch, modified it, inspired a generation of imitators, similar to what Mariano Rivera did with the cutter. But the splitter, or fork ball, as we all used to call it, the, the, the pitcher splits his index and middle fingers into that V, and uh, if there's open space at the bottom of the V, that's the faster-moving splitter. That's how you differentiate splitter from fork ball. But it's slower than a sinker. It drops more. It's not as slow as a changeup, but very much like a change. It's slower than a fastball. drops away from the opposite of hand to hitter. Chuck Finley, the former Angel, was a very rare, successful lefty who had a splitter. And Shreve has said, I only throw it because I really can't throw a changeup, which is just like Finley's story, the splitter born out of a failure to master a true change. So see, sometimes your plan B is what rewards you most. Kind of a, a life lesson in there somewhere. That splitter for Shreve, one of the most effective off-speed pitches in the majors when he was a Met. He was throwing it just about as much as his four-seamer, had a 55% whiff rate on that pitch, and it was the second highest whiff rate on any kind of off-speed uh, type of pitch for any pitcher that year. Only Devin Williams' changeup in Milwaukee was any better. So you look at this Mets bullpen now and its current construct, and I don't know about you, I don't hate this bullpen at all. You start from the ninth inning and work backwards. Edwin Diaz had nine what you'd call disaster games last year. 19 runs, 29 base runners, three homers, over six and two-thirds innings in those nine games. Otherwise, Mrs. Lincoln, he was really very good. He certainly threw the ball well at home at a 1.38 ERA at City Field, 58 strikeouts in 39 innings. But he was lacking on the road. One and five record, 6.85 ERA. Average fastball was just a tick under 99 miles an hour. That was higher in velocity than he'd ever had before. His slider was elite. Opponents hitting 152 against that pitch. I'm willing to bet he can shed those disaster games down from nine to maybe three or four this year and end up earning his shekels. The righty setup guys are solid, Seth Lugo and Trevor May. May, by the way, had a nightmare John Candy, Steve Martin movie trip to get to spring training. His flight from Seattle through Dallas was twice delayed because of a smoke detector alarm, and that became the least of his worries. When he finally got airborne, the plane was diverted to Oklahoma City because of weather issues, finally got to DFW, missed his connection by a bunch, said he had to navigate around a line of what was probably about a thousand people searching for new flights he found a hotel kept his bags checked he woke up got a message from the airline that they were in the process of sending his bags to miami well eventually he retrieved his bags took a new connecting flight to fort lauderdale through detroit and after about an hour in the rental car line in lauderdale oh we all been there he started driving north he realized that he had actually booked a hotel south 
not anywhere close to Port St. Lucie. Had to figure all that out. Anyway, now he's in camp. And you know what? Since we're talking about bullpen guys and transportation, I would send the guy a, a good old-fashioned bullpen car or cart. Remember bullpen buggies? Some clubs actually had cars. In the mid-'90s, the Brewers shuttled relievers in from the bullpen in a motorcycle with a sidecar. That was awesome. Baseball historians have tracked the use of bullpen carts to the early 1950s. The Indians, now the Guardians, first used what they called a little red wagon. That must have been adorable. Uh, The Kansas City Athletics added one in 1955, and really by the 60s, those carts could be found all across the majors and the minors. And and frankly, I kind of miss that. Anyway, as we know, the strategy of just tucker out the starter so you can get to the bullpen doesn't really work anymore because most bullpens are now superior to rotations just in terms of pure stuff. Gone are the days of middle relievers simply being failed starters. I mean, some are getting big money long-term deals just if you're middle relief. And if the postseason of the last few years has taught us anything, it's put your most effective reliever in the highest leverage situation. And I know sometimes pulling your starter early can cost you. That is true. It may have cost the Dodgers a World Series in 2017. Game two, Rich Hill had struck out seven in four terrific innings. They didn't want him facing the Astros batting order at third time, so they went to one reliever after another, burned through eight relievers, only six of which were effective, and they lost an extra inning. Of course, we've seen that with Tampa Bay since then. Uh, The game has just changed so dramatically in a short amount of time. In just five years, the number of relievers has increased 15%. The innings that they pitch has increased 15%. you got a growing supply of guys who throw hard, and, and that's where we are right now. Last year, there were 180 more relief pitchers than were needed 20 years ago. And the average fastball velocity keeps climbing. So, you know, you you bemoan the loss of the good old days when starting pitchers through 250 innings. It's like bemoaning the loss of typewriters. Things are just changing, and it's the old adapt or die. So if you couple better training with the application of more advanced analytics, you start to understand why managers are quick to go to their bullpens, even if you have Scherzer, DeGrom, and Bassett off the top. It's like Whitey Herzog used to say, even before bullpens were such a big deal. To be a successful manager, you need a sense of humor and a good bullpen, is what he said. And from what it looks like currently, the Mets are in good shape in that regard with Buck and the bullpen. Looks like Diaz, May, Lugo, Castro, Adovino, Shreve, Trevor Williams, maybe Drew Smith. That's acceptable, especially if the rotation stays reasonably healthy and doesn't force that bullpen to be working six innings each night like it had to at times last year. All right, on that happy note, let's send you to your weekend now. Let's meet the Mets in the morning house band. There are no pigeons playing ping pong, but still, on keyboards, Randy Milligan slapping the bass was Josh Tolley. The horn section, David Ardsma. And on drums, James Loney. This is Josh Lewin. Have a wonderful weekend. We will talk to you soon from Port St. Lucie. God willing. Get you from uh, Portland to Port St. Lucie in a short amount of time. Take care. Let's go Mets.